Good morning. You can uh, get your Bibles out and uh, you can get ready to follow along if you want to. First Timothy chapter six is where we're going to begin today. And the ushers have message notes if you need them. Uh, if you didn't get one when you were walking in, uh, go ahead and take advantage of that. It's really important that you write stuff down and they have pens and stuff like that. We started a series a couple weeks ago, just a little mini series called Legacy. And uh, this is something we do every year where we're we're really asking a question about making a difference. Something we focus on is the goal of all of our lives is not to live forever, it's to leave something that does. It's to leave a legacy. And so in December, we, we do something at One Chapel where we take a, a special offering called the Legacy Offering, and I, I just want to highlight this before we jump in here. It's on December 9th, and I'm telling you this now because I don't want you to feel pressured. I don't want you to feel uh, some sort of compulsion. Um, I believe that as a church, and I think what the Bible teaches is that we need to think deeply about what we do and don't do. We need to consider who we are as God's people. And that's why I'm asking you to simply pray, ask God what you should do, and just do that. And so that, that offering <clears throat> happens on December 9th. I want you to put, maybe put some money aside, maybe just think about what God wants you to do to t help One Chapel take a giant step forward as a church. When we did this last year, it was really amazing. When we did this last year, we did some really fun things. Like we, we gave three different schools, all right? Sunset Valley Elementary and then One Chapel Lake Travis and One Chapel Kyle. They chose a school and we gave Christmas bonuses to every teacher and staff member at those schools. It was so much fun. We, um, <clears throat> we gave more to missions and benevolence last year than we'd ever given before. <clears throat> because of the legacy offering, we uh, added, now this is really important for us as, a, as Austin, we added to our savings in major ways to prepare for a new building and to prepare for uh, next campuses, next churches that are going to be planted. And we, we've saved somewhere around $500,000 as we're getting ready to figure out how we're going to make the leap to the next season of our church. And so I really want you to pray about this because I, we're in a leased facility right now and this is one of, the, one of the challenges we're sort of facing in a place like Southwest Austin. Where do you go? How do you, how do you make the move? I, I, there's part of me that hates leasing. I'm just flushing that money down the toilet every month. <laughs> but I also believe that the gospel needs to go throughout our community in powerful ways and I've kind of made my peace um, with making sure that we can, that we're going to do that no matter where we are, whether we're in a lease facility or we're, we're in a, a building that we own. But I think there's something that establishes us in a greater way as we move forward in our vision at one chapel. And so uh, uh, with something that is permanent. And so we're looking at that and, and our board of directors is turning over every rock and looking for stuff. And, and last year we, um, we actually bought a, a bus and a, and a van for student ministries, taking them all over the place, connecting with each other. We, uh, we, this, this is really funny. We got a great deal on a, on a coffee trailer. Crazy. We started a coffee company. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, we don't have anything else to do. 
And so, but it was really awesome. Uh, we got this opportunity, it's, and the coffee company is called Grounded, all right? So uh, I wanted Hebrews, but whatever. Um, the, uh, the, um, <laughs> I made sure it wasn't holy grounds, though. That's good. That's good. Um, Anyway, you'll see it up at Falltober today. It'll be functioning and working, and we're just kind of getting into that. Um, I, because I think it's a, it's a way to do something outside of our walls, to, to reach out, to, to be part of the landscape of the community. Um, we're trying to put money away for vision of 10 churches over the next 10 years. And uh, I, I believe in that vision. I believe God wants us to leave a legacy in a, in a powerful way by dotting the landscape of our region with places, houses of healing, places where people can know Jesus, places where believers gather and then own their neighborhoods. They own it as in this is the territory God has given us to sow seeds of the gospel into those neighborhoods. And so um, I, I want you to know we're putting money away for that every month, actually, because we believe in it so strongly. And so we want to do these things to make a difference. This is really the thing, isn't it? Making a difference. And so I want you to start I want to pause here and just ask you to think about dreaming, about what it is that God might want us to do. And um, I'd love to hear your input. I'd love to hear your input about what God is saying to you. And um, my, my email address is ross.parsley at onechapel.com. You can send me an email, ross.parsley at onechapel.com. And um, I, want to, I want us to think collectively about being a blessing. Now, here's, here's, here's some things I'm dreaming about and that I'm praying about. And it comes from a question that I think is challenging for us. And the question is, what problems are we trying to solve? What problems are we trying to solve? Sometimes we can find ourselves working on problems that our community doesn't even care about. We've got, we've got solutions, but they're not quite interested in some of those solutions. How can we solve the right problems? Sometimes Christians want to solve the problems they think everybody has rather than looking at our culture and solving the problems that everyone is experiencing. Well, you say to yourself, well, it's Jesus, of course. Well, of course he's the answer, but we've got to be part of solutions where Jesus is doing something through us. What does that look like? I wonder if we could pique the interest of our city in who Jesus is by helping to solve some of the problems they face. Some of the cultural problems of our day. To provide solutions for the common good of our city that would make them curious about who Jesus is and who we are. There's, a, there's an amazing organization that was birthed out of <clears throat> Christ Together Greater Austin, which is a, 
an organization that I'm part of, that we're part of as one chapel, and it, 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 they did things like Explore God and um, Love Where You Live and those spiritual awareness campaigns. And a few years ago, they got together with the leaders of our city and they sa- said, okay, what are you facing as a city? What's, and, and they just had this long conversation and they dialogued about all these problems that, that the city is facing. And then, and then the pastors got together and said, okay, what one problem could we attack? And it was the problem of third grade reading. Third grade reading because there's a famous study in California that was done third grade reading scores predicting prison beds. Because if you can't read after third grade, the odds are not good for you. And the way your life's going to uh, unfold. And so we started, we, we started thinking about how could we attack this problem and education connection came out of this and there are now a few years into it, this, it's, it's huge. There are schools all over the landscape of our region where mentors are going in one half hour a week and re- re- helping third graders read. Church of Jesus Christ is changing the landscape of the city. That is kind of what I'm talking about. I'm thinking about things like immigration. I'm thinking about racism. I'm thinking about poverty, about divisiveness in our culture. What is it? How do we live in this cultural moment? Do we just go silent? Do we engage? If so, how? This is what the legacy question is about. It's not just about a building. It's about something so much bigger. This is the kind of dreaming we need to do about our legacy at one chapel. And this, is, this season, this, this kind of talk, this kind of series is one of my favorites because it highlights over and over again the reason why we exist as a church. And the reason why we exist as a church is because we're making a difference for eternity. That's what we're trying to make a difference in. And you stop and think about it. Every single one of us want to make a difference. We have it down here on the inside. That's this. We want our lives to be significant. We want to we wanna make a difference that lasts. We want to change the trajectory of our lives. We want to we change what our family is known for. We want to leave something positive behind. If you look at your message notes, you'll see the definition for legacy. Something such as a tradition... Oh, sorry, it's not in there this week. (laughs) It'll be on the screens. Something as a tradition or problem that exists as a result of something that happened in the past, something that someone has achieved that continues to exist after they stop working or die. And I think the interesting thing about this definition is it's either positive or negative. You're going to leave a positive legacy or you might leave a negative legacy or you might leave a passive legacy where nobody even remembers you were there. Now look at this, right? Because so, we've, we've been talking about our activities and, and <clears throat> today I'm going to talk about something that I think is a sensitive subject in a way, but it is what our lives kind of revolve around. And so I want you to look at this in 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10. It says, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into, into, into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. 
Verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. In other words, when we have a wrong perspective of money in our lives, it creates all sorts of temptations, all sorts of traps, all sorts of evils, all, all kinds of destructions and griefs in our hearts. And ultimately, it will diminish, if not completely destroy, any sort of positive legacy in our lives. <clears throat> Luke twelve thirty four says, for where your treasure is there, your heart will also be. The issue of money, how we hold money in our hearts, uh, ultimately affects every aspect of our lives. <clears throat> and this morning, I want to talk to you about the issue, this issue, and I want us to first look at the issue of money from the perspective of, of um, financial planters. Planners, not planters, planners. Financial planners, all right? You, if you've ever met a financial planner, they're about a few things, and it kind of is really important, and they kind of try to drive this home, and I am not a financial planner, but here's what they typically say. Here's the first thing that financial planners will tell you about is you're earning. You're earning. In other words, there's nothing to manage if you don't have any money. <laughs> financial planners want to know how much you've earned and what your work, how much you work in order to, to um, earn your money. You've got to raise your income and, and create margin in your life. It's your earnings. And, and really, listen to me, church, it's really just about how... Um, what kind of skills you develop in your life and how, you, how much time you need for those skills. Because let's be honest, money is simply a transactional device. It's a tool that represents time and skill. That's all it is. It's neither good or bad. It's the love of money that's the problem. But, but, but money is just the tool. It's just a transactional device. It's just a, 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 something that is, that is going from time and skill to the things you want and need in your life. And then the second thing the financial planners will talk to you about is your spending. <laughs> good news. Nothing but good news today at church. You're spending. In other words, the money goes out of your pocket. Statistics, check this out. Statistics show that 90% of Americans don't have a budget. So the vast majority of us don't even know where the money's going. It just leaves. I have five children. It just leaves. <sighs> By the end of the month, we're scrounging around trying to find a little change in the sofa <laughs> to do stuff. This speaks so much about our American problem of living beyond our means. Third financial planner, uh, planners will talk to you about your saving. This is not just a financial issue because this is a biblical concept as well. Proverbs 21.20 says, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. Even the Bible says, don't spend all you have. <laughs> the average American spends 136% of their income. <laughs> yeah, there's no such thing as 136%, by the way. <laughs> there's, there's 100%, then there's nothing else. <laughs> we have to learn how to save. We don't, and, and, and the statistics do show that that is trending in a better direction after everybody lost all, everything in 2008. Fourth 
thing that financial planners will talk to you about is your investing. Because when you invest, then you're not just working for money. Your money is working for you. That's where you want to get to. Your money's doing work for you. You're putting aside money for the purpose of letting it grow. And then number five, financial planners talk to you about your giving. The average American gives away about 3% of their income. Charitable giving. Anybody want to guess what it is that the average American Christian gives away? 3.8%. Woo! Average American gives 3% to charity. Average Christian, 3.8%. Now, these are the numbers. I'm just giving you the numbers. I'm I'm telling you whatever... What what happens is there's there's a moment where... You're meeting with a financial planner. You've got to address these issues. And we do a whole message series about these issues. And we could dive down on each one of them and really help you. I want to encourage you to work on these numbers because I think they're important. And, and from time to time, we, we dig down on, on these kind of subjects. I, I use a budgeting tool called everydollar.com. And uh, that's from Dave Ramsey, Financial Peace University. Um, you know, I, I, think, I think so many of us need help. That's why we offer Financial Peace University every semester. And, and so at the beginning of every semester, I encourage you to think about jumping in there. And the, one of the reasons we're having this talk now, not just the legacy concept, but also the holidays are right around the corner. And the best time to talk to your community about being careful is right before the holidays. I don't know what it is, but we feel the pressure we feel the draw. We want everybody to be happy. We want to overspend. We want to celebrate with gift giving with money we don't have. <laughs> but if you're a follower of Jesus, there's more than just the natural things at play in your life. There's more than just the natural thing at work because we live in the realm of the spiritual and the supernatural. There's, a, there's another realm that's operating principles that are universal. <clears throat> As God's people, we've got to embrace these principles. Look at this in Haggai chapter 1, verse 5. It's in your message notes there. It says, now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. So what's wrong? What's going on in your life? Could it be there's another way? Could it be that there... there, there are principles that we need to follow, principles that supersede what's naturally. Apostle Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 1.20. He says, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? See, one chapel, God has a way of doing things that goes beyond the natural, that goes beyond the numbers, beyond the numbers, The world says you just need to earn money. God's principles deal with issue of living beyond the numbers. So the first principle I want you to embrace and and understand is calling versus compensation. 
In other words, at the end of the day, how much money you make is not going to fulfill you. What's going to fulfill you is if you found what your life is really all about. And if you truly found the purpose that God has for your life. Some of you are sitting here, you're like, well, I'd like to try and see what it's like. I'd like to try and see if I could make enough money to make my life work better. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But the way you do that is by finding some purpose that's greater than you. Listen, there's nothing like knowing that you're doing exactly what you're called to do. That's the higher principle. Not chasing the almighty dollar, but chasing the call of God on your life. And this is what, this is what, what a whole semester of catalyst is really about, is discovering God's purpose for you. And I want to encourage you each semester as it comes around, th- this is not just for new Christians. This is not just for people who are really serious about God. This is for every one of us to settle these issues in our life because the key to life is not how much you can accumulate, but how much you can fulfill what God has called you to do. You see, friends, we don't just need money to live on. We need something to live for. Apostle Paul said it this way in Acts 20, 24. He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Here it is. Here it is. This is the point. You have a race to finish as well, you and me. It's all about our calling what God's doing in us. And then the world says that you just need to control your spending. But God's principles deals with the issue of contentment versus consumerism. Contentment versus consumerism. We live in a culture that just wants more, 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 more. I want it all. And I want it when? Yeah. <laughs> yes, you know it well. And the reason why so many of us are stuck in consumerism is because we've lost the spiritual value of contentment. There's a contentment that settles in on us. Jesus said it this way in Luke 12, 15. The Living Bible says, don't always be wishing for what you don't have. For real life and real living are not related to how rich we are. In fact, if you look at statistics, the people who are the happiest are always those who don't have very much. The more you have, usually the more worries and stress that comes from it. The Apostle Paul said it this way, Philippians 4.12, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. What's the secret? To discover that in every situation you find yourself in, you're blessed, cared for, loved, provided for, helped. See, church, contentment is not the fulfillment of what you want, but the realization of what you already have. And then, so listen, there's nothing that works against this. Like cable TV. I don't know what it is. You watch any sports, any channel, any, any, you watch HGTV and it's all about what you don't have in your house. (laughs) 
the you're on Facebook. It's all about what you don't have and what how much you need this brand new invention that nobody's ever heard of before. To do something more convenient than you've ever done it before. This is what is bombarding you and me. And it's no wonder that we struggle to find a contentment. Turn off the TV. Take a rest from social media from time to time. In fact, get rid of the cable altogether. It'll help your budget. (laughs) Right? It's like this contentment thing, this struggle everywhere we go. And then when the world says, you just need to save more. You just need to save. God's principle deals with the issue of being God-dependent or independent. God-dependent or independent. In other words, you can start looking at your savings account as your answer. You can start looking at it as preparation and security for the future because saving is a biblical principle, right? It is a bit, we just established that. However, don't look at it as the source of your security. If you start looking at it as the source of your security, you'll be in trouble like the Writer of Proverbs says in verse 11, uh, chapter 18, verse 11 says, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. See, the problem is that they're only imagining it. They're imagining it, all their wealth, all their savings, as an unscalable wall to the enemy. It's just a figment of their imagination. It's not true. Because money in and of itself can't make you secure. Only God can make you secure. I know you want to try it and see if money will make you secure. But only God can do that in a human heart. So we need to live a life of trust, of leaning in to God. That he will take care of us. He'll provide for us to meet our deepest needs. That's why the most generous people... The most generous people are often very poor. Statistics show that the percentage of giving per income is the highest among the poor. Why is that? Because they know that their money can't really do anything for them. They freely give to others. They know what it is to be in need. And so they share with people in need. I'll never forget the beautiful hospitality of indigenous people in the mountains of Mexico. I was there with Britt Hancock, one of our missionaries with Mountain Gateway. And we hiked half the day through the jungle up into uh, this this part of the the mountains where it was, I mean, no one else was around. It was, the location was just far away and there's this little house sitting there and we got there and it was we sat down in a one room dirt floor hut with a cinder block walls all around it right and a fireplace right in the in the in the middle with a kind of a block chimney was cooking going on behind that little chimney I could hear it as we sat there the women making tortillas, the slapping, the flattening, 
the grinding of this, this, this pre- preparation of a meal for some strangers, giving us all that they had. It was really an incredible moment of witnessing that hospitality. It moved me. Proverbs 30 says, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only daily bread. Sadly, I prefer monthly bread. Don't you? Don't you like monthly bread better? I'd like, I'd like to have monthly bread delivered. I, I, know, I know I got enough. But the writer of the Proverbs and Jesus himself says, I want you to understand, give me daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Now, to be honest, this reminds me of my dependence upon God, not my dependence upon me. Daily bread forces us to think about what God will do for today. That's why our declaration as a church needs to be, as a people of God needs to be, I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. I can hear the wheels turning inside your head. Yeah, Pastor Ross, but I live in the real world. I need actual bread. I, I don't know what it will be like for you, but in my life, over and over again, Amy and I, trusting God for his provision. And I'm not saying I've always been great at stewardship, but God's provision has always been good to me. Leads us to number four, stewardship versus ownership. Because as a follower of Jesus, you're not investing to make what you have grow. You're investing what belongs to God with God's interests in mind. Like, what is he interested in? That's what a steward does. A steward manages something for someone else. It belongs to somebody else, and it it belongs to their priorities. God's priorities, not yours. If you see see just the part you give to God as God's, that's a problem. You got to see it all. It all belongs to God. You're a steward. The greatest financial advice I could ever give you is that God owns everything, and I'm his manager. So I got to keep I got to keep consulting with him about what he, what he's interested in. The church operates on this principle. We operate here at one chapel on this principle. My life operates on this principle. Your life needs to operate on this principle and I'm telling you when you get this, when you really get that God owns everything and I'm just his manager, it will kind of change the way you think about everything. Because it's not just my offering, it's not just my tithe that I give here at the church that belongs, it's, it's everything I have. I'm God's steward. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19 through 20, do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And as short as, 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 short as this life is, Like, it feels shorter to me all the time. (laughs) The older I get, I'm like, wow, where did those years go? You're going to want to invest as much as you can for what is eternal. I find the urgency growing inside my own soul to make sure that we're doing something that will truly last. When rich people die, somebody always asks, well, how much did they leave? And the answer is all of it. 
They left it all. Matthew 13, 44 says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, and when a man found it, he hid it again. <laughs> so he finds it, and then he goes, oh, i got to hide this. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had, and then bought the field. He bought the field where the treasure was hidden. When you discover what really matters, you're going to want to spend your life investing in. And then the last area of giving, financial planners will tell you, if you have anything left over, after your expenses and after your savings and after your investments are given to, then it might be good for you to be benevolent. God's principle deals with the issue of generosity versus miserly. Great word, miserly. Last week, I said it's not by accident that the word miser and miserable are, are coming from the same Greek word. Miserly and miserable. When I am miserly, I'll be miserable. Acts 20, 35, Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And that word blessed means happy, giddy, like fired up about it. <laughs> Pastor Ross, come on. Really? No, I think there's something to it. When you discover the principle... Back to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and here's where we'll end. The Apostle Paul is telling Timothy, who has, he, he, he has this apostolic protege, protege, Paul does, named Timothy, and he's telling him to tell the people in his churches in Ephesus and Crete to be generous and not miserly. Here's what he says in verse 17. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Listen, listen to this, everybody. We all want to live this way with generosity and joy. Nobody wants to be miserable and tight-fisted. Let me tell you, this is what we're called to do. Today at Falltober, I, I don't know if you heard Pastor Rob say it, but everything today, right, except for the food, we're paying for the, people are paying for the food, but everything else is free. It's just this thing we're doing, we're pulling it off as a church to reach into that community in a way to introduce people to Jesus. Now, I want to coach you on a way to live generously. And it's kind of this basic principle that I think the Bible speaks of. It's an idea in the Bible. It's called the practice of percentage giving. Per the practice of percentage giving. It was practiced in the Old Testament, and Jesus affirms it in the New Testament. And it is the biblical word tithing. Tithing. Some of you are like, what is tithing? What's tithing mean? Tithe just means, is a, is a word, it means 10%. It means 10%, it was given first. Here's what a tithe was. It was given first, not last. It wasn't, it wasn't given after everything else was done. It was given first, then everything else came. And then it was people giving their best, not what was left. They gave their best first. And here's what I want to leave you with. Tithing is like training wheels for generosity. Tithing is like training wheels for generosity. If you want to live as a generous person, begin with this basic practice. Percentage giving to your local church as the baseline because God wants you to give more because he wants you to be so generous. He wants, to, he wants this process to happen in your life. Here's, and here, before you get all weirded out about tithing, let me just say, I believe that it's simply a the most practical way 
that all of us can do something that loosens the grip of money on our hearts and it's even. It's even. It's ten, everybody, can do, everybody can do 10%. You don't all make the same amount of money, but you can all do 10%. And strangely, as people get richer, the less that percentage shrinks. Why? Because this tendency to want to hold on. This, this little practice, it's simply a practical way. It's not about law. It's about love. It's about putting something in operation in your life. Amy and I have practiced this all our married life. We have never been in need. Ever. There's something powerful about it. And we've, done, we've taken a lot of risks. We've done a lot of stuff. If we all, if every person within one chapel. Now, listen to me. If every person in one chapel had this kind of consistent, practiced generosity, there's nothing we can't do together. There's no need we can't meet. There's no building we can't buy. We could buy any building. You do the numbers. You do the math. The amount of people. The, if, we, if we were to practice this, this baseline generosity, there's no building we can't buy. As even in Southwest Austin. <laughs> There's no outreach we can't do. There's no problem we couldn't solve. Hey everybody, now's the time. Do good. Be generous. Here's what here's what little here's here use use this little something extra card. Do you have it? I do you have it on your seat? Here it is. Don't forget this. Do this, do this, take this. Let God remind you. It's on your seats. I think we have more in the lobby. You can take them and you just, you let God work this into your life. Be generous to the people around you. When you go out today, leave a huge tip to your server. Pays for somebody's coffee. Oh, nobody's making coffee. Never mind. Pay for their... (laughs) Some of you are super grumpy today because we didn't have coffee when you came in. And then the pastor talked about money. This is a crazy Sunday. Listen, God's trying to do something in your soul, in our collective soul as a church. Do good. Here's what John Wesley said. He said, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. And look what happens when you do that. Verse 19, in this way, They will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Close your eyes and bow your head. I want us to live this way beyond the numbers. I want us to invest in something that is eternal. And here in this moment, I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. There's two kinds of people in the room. Some of you are sitting here and even in this even in this talk about money you realize how impoverished you are spiritually and how much you are in need of Jesus. And I want to lead you in a prayer to let him provide for you. I want you to commit your life to him in a way that is new. You're saying, I'm I'm sick and tired of living just for me. I want to live for someone greater than myself. 
for something greater than myself. And then, and then the second type of person I want to lead you in a prayer is just you're, you're a Christian, you, you, you follow Jesus, but you just know you're in danger of using it all up on yourself. You're just, you're just kind of consumed with all the stuff. And this is a moment where you want to say, Jesus, loosen my grip on all my things. Help me to open my hands to worship you and to do good and to serve people in need. Do that work in our hearts today, God. Father, we come to you and we say, forgive us. We repent for insisting on our own ways. We yield in this moment to your word, to your truth, to the ideas that we've listened to today, to the principles of your kingdom. And we want, Lord, to discover the life you want for us, a life of joy, a life of generosity, and a a life where there is less anxiety and less worry and less strain, less struggle. We want to live this out with you. So come, we give our hearts to you. Come and have your way in us. Change us. Let us see the world differently. Lord, our tight-fisted ways, we open our hands. We release our all that we have to you. It all belongs to you. We are yours. Do with us as you will. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.